You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 88. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. No, it's check us out. (laughs) Check us out. (laughs) Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm Jerzak. (laughs) Excellent. This episode is sponsored by techmeme.com. Check out the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. They have weekday releases with just quick 20-minute episodes, and they talk about all the hot news in tech, like literally the the trending news of the day. And it's kind of done like an NPR sort of news show. So it's really easy to listen to. And it's a nice way to get filled in on all the things that you didn't have time to check out during the day on your Google feed and everything else. So if you would go check out our show notes at codingblocks.net slash episode 88, and you can see the links there and they'll take you over to iTunes or Google play music and search for tech meme. That's T E C H M E M E and give it a listen. Again, we'll have the links in the show notes, or you can search on iTunes or Google Play Music. All right. And we always like to start off with a big thank you to people that have taken the time to go leave us a review up on the various places where it's done. So, Mike, you want to kick us off? Yep. Uh, from iTunes, we have Lego Parsons, Dennis Adolfi, Jerbaka, PS2178, and Tech Systems. All right. So, your big thanks to uh, Chaka IT and Timmy Nicepen. That's an excellent name. And and I meant to give a quick plug here last episode and totally forgot. So Mike Robbins, who does just crazy amounts of PowerShell stuff and, and writes a blog. We've talked about him before. You know, if you haven't, go check him out. But what's really cool is they he and a couple other guys have teamed up and created a PowerShell conference book where they've got a ton of tips and tricks and, and things you can do. And we'll have a link on the show notes page here to where you can actually go buy that book and all the proceeds go towards an on-ramp scholarship program. The authors get nothing. So, you know, if you want to get something that's really useful for you in your day to day and you do some things with PowerShell and if you haven't done PowerShell, it's really cool. Um, go check this out, man. It's a good way to give back to, you know, a good cause and at the same time get something useful. And finally, a big personal thanks to Jack and Krittner for rescuing me from my family vacation. So I got to do lunch over there in Baltimore, and uh, I'm still dreaming about that Maryland cupcake. So thank you very much. Very nice. All right. Well, with that, let's get into the topic of our show tonight, algorithmic complexity. And algorithmic complexity, we've referenced it a few times, especially recently talking about uh, the imposter's handbook, and we're still kind of using that uh, for some guideposts here. But algorithm complexity is the study of how well algorithms scale in terms of time and memory. Or space. And, right? Space. Well, that'd be space. Space. Yeah, memory, space. Yes. That's what I mean. Got it. Yep. And it can be used to compare different algorithms. So if you've got two different algorithms, you want to know like which one's faster, which one takes up more space, then that's a way to do it. And it also um, helps you get predictions. So like if you know something's performing now and you think about doubling your input size or doubling your number of users or orders in a day, then you could do a little bit of um, napkin math and figure out what's that, what that's going to perform like and see if you're going to be able to handle it. 
I guess you were getting particular about the memory because if it was being stored on disk or a flash right. or whatever. Right. So right. that's why you wanted to call it space rather than memory. Right. Space could be any kind of medium. So anyways. Yeah. And um, so when we usually talk about algorithmic complexity, we end up talking a lot about big O, which is the mathematical notation that we use to formally describe the, li- the limiting behavior of a function. But it's not just algorithmic complexity that big O could be used for. It could be used for any sort of limiting kind of behavior that you're looking at in, in terms of math. So terms get a little funky. So sometimes if you Google big O, you'll see them talking about functions and sometimes algorithms. But for our purposes tonight, we're basically going to be talking about algorithms, what we may say the word function. I just want to make it clear that like if we do end up saying function, it doesn't necessarily mean you know, one function, one function only. Like sometimes your functions can call other functions and that can still be included as same part of the same algorithm. There's nothing saying that algorithm can only be one function. But mathematically, they're still talking about that high level kind of input and output from whatever calls the rest. Yeah. And we talked about this in the past, like several, several episodes back, the definition of an algorithm, really it boils down to it's the recipe for, for what you're trying to do. Right. So if it's 10 steps, a hundred steps, whatever, what we're talking about is the big O notation or the the complexity for that entire set of, of steps that have to be accomplished. Yep. And when I say limiting behavior, it sounds like we're talking about like actual like calculus limits and growth rates of curves and stuff. And so it's going to do a little bit of hand wave and not get too, too much into depth in that. But it, for our purposes as programmers, it basically means boiling down our algorithmic analysis to the most significant bits. So sometimes we throw pieces of our, um, our code kind of away because they don't really matter too much as the, in, the input gets larger and larger and larger. So like some of the things that they talk about with that, right? Like if you have a few steps where you assign a variable or whatever, that stuff doesn't matter really. And so they throw it away is, is basically what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Which is um, kind of hard intuitively, at least what it was for me to grasp because like I'll see a loop that does like 10 things inside of it. And to me, you know, I feel intuitively like that's doing more work than something that just has a one line in a loop. But that's not really true. And especially if you think about, you know, your functions or whatever are doing stuff underneath and they're getting translated to, uh, you know, assembly or whatever, then it can be kind of a hard pill to think that, like, you know, we're only really looking at that loop and we're kind of not really even caring about what goes on inside there because we know that a lot of stuff inside there can really have a big impact on performance. And that's why measuring is so important. So, um, you know, I mentioned dropping those constants. So like the example there I gave where you've got a, a, a loop with 10 items in it. We don't care about the 10. We basically throw it away. We just treat it like it's constant. We say, if you've got a size 100 array or size 1000 array or size 1 billion array, eventually over time, that 10 doesn't matter because everything is scaling based on the input. And so if we chart the uh, runtimes, over time that we should see it roughly conform to this curve. And that's what we, what we mean when we say that uh, we're looking at the, what was the phrase, uh, uh, the limiting behavior, or sometimes you'll see the um, asymptotic analysis, but it basically means the same thing in math. When you've got that sort of curve, we're saying, uh, you know what? It doesn't quite hit this perfectly, but it's close enough for our purposes. And we can kind of generalize and look at these things. And so coming up in this episode, we're going to look at a lot of the common types of curves and the common types of algorithms that fit those curves and just know that, you know, things aren't perfect. You know, we're dealing kind of abstractly and there's a little bit of a wiggle room, but ultimately as the input size increases, that wiggle room doesn't really matter that much. 
All right. So I think pretty much covered the stuff in uh, here. I did want to mention, you know, I did say the testing, but what I mean by that is like, uh, you know, especially if you're dealing with kind of like real world business programming, sometimes there's stuff in those loops that can go out to a database or a network call or something. And so um, that's where algorithmic complexity really kind of falls apart. You That stuff in a way doesn't, it's not really part of your algorithm, right? We're not including those sort of times. There's no sort of allowance in big O for that. It's just mathematical notation for what kind of stuff you're doing. And so if you do have an algorithm that fetches data as part of that algorithm, then that stuff is, is not going to count. It's going to get thrown away. And so what you, what you want to do is measure ultimately. Well, it's a measurement of the operations, not necessarily of the time. So time in there, in regards to big O is in regards to the, if you're assuming how many, how much time, if you assume that like each operation were to take a, you know, a same amount of time, right? You're not counting latency for network connections and network overhead or, you know, latency in regards to like even opening up a connection, things like that, like that. That's not the type of things. It's just, here's the operation. And then how many, you know, if you assume a constant amount of time for each of those operations, like how, how bad is it? Right. Like in one line of code, I can print a screen or in one line of code, I could write a core dump to disk, right? Which is going to be, you know, potentially gigs. Both of those have a lot of operations going on behind the scenes that I can't see. But when I'm doing algorithmic analysis, I don't want to count that stuff. I treat it as constant because I assume that as part of your algorithm, that needs to happen. And so if there's a faster way to get the information you need, you know, faster than a core dump, then that's something that kind of happens outside the scope of you analyzing this one particular function. And and so kind of put this in short terms, you use big O notation so that you can talk about something in a relatively easy fashion, right? Is really what it boils down to is you don't want to get too far into the weeds to where you can't talk about it. But, but once you know some of these pieces of terminology, then if you say, you know, big O of N squared or, or not big O, if you say ON squared, then people have a general idea of what's going on there, right? Yep. So it's flawed, but in practice, it turns out pretty good and it lets us do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And we certainly can't do perfectly. Perfectly. Right. Yeah. So as, as Joe said, like it's a, it's a way to describe the complexity of the algorithm, uh, in terms of time and or space, right? Uh, we can measure how well our code scales in terms of big O, right? We know if it's, you know, we'll get into some of these, but if it's uh, O of one, we know it's going to be awesome. It's going to scale awesome, right? Uh, if it's O of N, it's going to be linear, right? So we can, uh, you know, refer to it kind of like that. We can think about like how well, how well is this piece of code going to scale? Uh, someone had in here about it being an overloaded term now. I think that's Joe. What you got? Yeah. There? Did you have an opinion about scaling though? Yeah, if you get asked about scaling in an interview, they're probably not asking about Big O. They might be asking about like stateless web servers or, um, you know, NoSQL versus SQL or some of these other terms that kind of make more sense or are used more often in like a cloudy or kind of architectural sense. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention that tonight we're specifically talking about time and space. So, you know, almost exclusively like single processor time and something like uh, primary memory. So when you're talking about scaling though, you're saying, Hey, if I have one, if I have one value as an input and it takes one second and I have 
10,000 values and it takes 10,000 seconds, then you know that it scales linearly, right? That's what you're talking about with scaling. Scaling in this regard would be the inputs. Scaling based off the size of the inputs that you're working with. And that's if you're talking about time, right? Now, if you're talking about space, it might be that, you know, if you have one, then it takes up one byte. If you have 10,000, it could take up, you know, 10 times that, right? It, It all depends. And so that's what we're talking about scaling here. So. You know, and, you know, speaking of 10 times, I feel like when people talk about big O and algorithmic complexity, like 10 to one, they're talking about the time. Yeah. I'll talk about space. Space is kind of like a, oh yeah, you can do this too kind of thing. Yeah. It's usually, but it's funny. I think when we dig into the weeds a little bit, space <laughs> is probably as important, if not more in some cases. Right. Um, and one thing to point out that the whole reason this stuff even matters, because we haven't really talked about it yet. We're, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here in just a second is though. When somebody says, Hey, how, how, how well does that perform? Usually like, well, it's pretty good. Right. But that's not an answer. That doesn't measure anything. It doesn't quantify anything. And so the whole reason we're even talking about this is because it allows you to give a more, while not perfect answer, it allows you to give you a more understood, easy to understand answer that is a little bit more accurate. Right. That, that is quantified. Yeah. So this is big O in this regard, it's all about comparing algorithms, trying to predict their performance. So we won't know exactly how well the time is, but like you're saying, we can, we can give an estimation of like, I think this is going to perform well because it's O of N, or I think it's going to perform bad. And here's why, uh, you know, and we have these, these equations we'll call them that we can refer to. Right. But, you know, I think, um, Joe mentioned, in the beginning though, that there were, you know, more uses, right. than just, uh, you know, in regards to computers or functions, I think is how he, how you referred to it, Joe. Um, you know, this was originally created, uh, starting back. So, so the, according to, I think Wikipedia was that had the, the creator, you know, the authors of it It was created by Paul Bachman, uh, Edmund Landau, and others, and I thought, oh, that's funny. They're like, what? The, the others don't get any credit, right? And um, er, and uh, Paul Bachman is no relation to Ehrlich Bachman, in case if you were wondering. <laughs> Why don't they but, just call Paul up and ask him who else worked on it? Right? Yeah, right. But but the thing is, is like he laid that groundwork back in 1894, so well before you know anything to do with computers, right? Like so, this this type of conversation about big O doesn't necessarily have to be constrained to just software, right? Um, because they were just referring to it in, in terms of math. And so, you know, it was over. So what they mean by that, when they say it was uh, Bachman, Landau and others was that, you know, in 1909, uh, Landau added to it, but then over the years between uh, 19 and, or 1894, 1909, and then, you know, to today, there's still been, additional mathematicians that have been adding on to this, uh, this functionality. Right. So <laughs> it was just kind of humorous though that the first two got the cre- the name credit and no one else did. Um, but this is also referred to as the, you know, Joe already mentioned the asymptotic notation. No, you mentioned, um, uh, asymptotic, uh, analysis, analysis. But big O, you know, this is also sometimes referred to as the Bachman-Landau notation or asymptotic notation, which I'm having a difficult time saying that word fast. Um, and, uh, you know, the O today, we would say, stands for order of the function. 
But originally when Bachman wrote it, it was just order of, right? Um, so, yeah. I actually thought for the longest time, I thought it was Omega, which I don't know why. I mean, that's not the symbol for Omega that you usually see. So it's kind of funny that I thought that. Because it was all mathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if I ever put any thought to it at all. I don't think I did. Yeah, usually we just talk about big O and we talk about like the upper bound of worst case scenarios, but did think it was worth mentioning that uh, some of those Greek letters do make an appearance. So there's like theta that you'll see sometimes or even little O or omega mm-hmm. and a couple other symbols that to throw in to mean various different things. But uh, I think for tonight, we're basically just going to focus on the worst case scenario. So if we say that something is O of N, we don't mean that it looks at every single input every single time. It may look at everything but the last one. It may stop on the first. It, we're just saying on the worst case scenario, it's going to look at all of the inputs. But still an approximation, as you said earlier, because it tosses out a lot of uh, key little pieces that happen here and there. Yeah, I mean, it could look at all of the inputs five times. So five times the number of inputs, but that's going to boil down to big O of N. We're just going to say, ah, screw the five, because as things get on, it's not going to matter. Right. So... You know how you know how great I am with um, numbers and examples here. <laughs> so I thought, well, how can I try to make this as easy as possible, right? So I put together some examples, but I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, okay, <clears throat> what if we just assume a simple small array of five integers to try to like rationalize some of this, and then you know you can expand on it from there and, and on your own, but to just try to get an understanding of like what some of this is, right? So we're going to go through some of these orders. Uh, and, and we'll start with O of one first, right? So O of one, these, this is constant. The operations aren't affected by the input size. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, it, that, that five, um, integer, that array of five integers, it could be 5 million, you know, it could be 500. doesn't matter if, the the O of one operation is still going to take the same amount of time regardless. Um, so for example, uh, using that, uh, five digit or, or that five integer array, uh, you know, accessing an element in that array would be an O of one operation. Cause it knows just where to go. It doesn't have to do any kind of scan or anything like that. Yeah. So you remember back, um, was it, it wasn't last episode. I guess it was maybe two episodes ago now where I brought up about the, recall the conversation that we had about like, why do arrays start at zero you know, oh, right. for most, for, for a lot of languages. Right. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> hint, hint, it was the, because it was a memory offset. Right. And so that's how the, the array operation is able to be an O of one operation. Right now, again, arrays, not lists. We're not talking about any kind of linked lists or anything like that, or, you know, specific list implementations. Like, you know, let's just keep it simple and talk about arrays. Right. Yeah. And I um, just wanted to give an example of the kind of size here uh, or the, the kind of um, time performance we're looking at. So if we take that, um, that array of five integers, we pass it to a function. Let's just say that function just returns false all the time, no matter what. So, you know, it's going to take one second. So it doesn't matter if that array is five or if that ray is 50,000, no matter what, it's always returning the same thing. So it should always take about one second. Yeah. So this, th- again, this type of operation is considered constant time because like Joe said, it doesn't matter what the, what the size of that array is. So one of 
our fi- I, I would have to say collectively our favorite resources we've we've definitely talked about it a lot um definitely one of my favorite uh resources is the big o cheat sheet dot com so if we were to look at there they have the all of them graphed out right o of one operations are very green these are these are very quick fast operations right so we we like these you don't really get any faster right well do you um i actually looked up to see if there was o of zero and uh, there's there's quite a bit of debate like on Stack Overflow. I don't know what the mathematicians would say, but um, it seems like Stack Overflow arguments all lead to a, yeah, you can have it if it just doesn't ever do anything. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the use of it? It sounds like, yeah, you could totally do it, but it'd be completely useless. So Yeah, I don't I don't understand what it means to have zero, zero. It's like, are you saying that it never returns anything because it's like a syntax error? It doesn't make sense to me. So um, if you can explain that, I would love to see it in the comments. All right. Yeah, I don't get that. I'm trying to think of like, I was trying to think of something clever to say, like, uh, it's the else statement that never gets executed or, you know, it's like if true equal false, and then you have a block of code and that that's O of zero because it's never going to happen. But it still counts as one operation because you're doing the if, if nothing else. Well, I was thinking about maybe like block though. But you got to remember, they toss that out on big O anyways, that that if wouldn't matter typically. So, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, really. Oh, yeah, you're right. The if wouldn't count. Yeah, it wouldn't count. They drop that off. Yeah. But when they say drop it, it doesn't necessarily mean like turn it to zero. Like, you know, otherwise you'd be multiplying zero by whatever. So it's like turning it to a one. No, but yeah, Yeah. but no, Alan's right, though, because the size that like, you know, any kind of if equals false type of operation like that wouldn't count in terms of calculating yeah. big o because yeah. there's no because the input size doesn't matter yeah we sort of glossed over it earlier like it, when you said when you set constants and stuff like typically if in your function you have if this equals one then do this or if this equals two they basically say those operations don't count they're insignificant for the for the grander scale of what n number of inputs are so all those if statements and all those operations get thrown out the window for big o notation so so yeah is there again going back to o, o of zero means nothing I, as far as i can tell so well yeah i, think- I mean because we have a we have it summarized here in a different way because like going using my joking example of if true equals false you know that would be considered a constant so it wouldn't matter in terms of our growth curve right so that's why we wouldn't count it so i think going back to what we were originally saying i think o of one is the the, the constant is the absolute fastest that you can aim for right Unless in a still u- stack overflow. Yeah. In a useful operation, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so the next one we, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe sounded a little unconfident with that. He was like, Oh, we're going to get some backlash. Yeah. We, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get spanked. Here comes That's the fun. O of zero crowd. Joe will be there or Jerzak will be there Jerzak. to field any kind of questions in episode discussion. And yeah, if I talk about math, I end up saying something wrong. Yeah. yeah I think we did on last episode, which was called out to us. So, um, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. All right, so the next one we have up is O of N, also called order of N, which I think uh, O of 1 is also called order of 1. So I'm, I've never heard that, though. Never, ever. I, I've always just heard O of 1 of O of N. Yeah, you know, you'll, you'll probably hear, at least in our realm, O of N. So 
the the order in operations take more time to run for larger inputs, but the growth rate is what they call linear. As the number of inputs go up, so does your your time. So it's basically the the example I gave earlier. If you have one input, it's one second. Ten thousand inputs is ten thousand seconds, right? So linear is as it goes up, you have a nice graph to where the line's just going up at a good forty five degree, right? Assuming that the scales are all right. Yeah, I did a little bit of math for each of the sections that we're going to talk about, each of the orders we're going to talk about today. So just to kind of keep consistent, like for the constant time for uh, input of one, uh, input of five in our array, it's going to be one second. Uh, 5,000, it's also going to be one second. For order n, now this is really easy. It's um, for input size of five, our array, it's going to take one second. And then for an uh, input size of 5,000, it's going to take 1,000 seconds. It gets a little weird because of the five. Sorry about that. But um if you had yeah, stuck you with one it. second per input, it would have been a whole lot easier, man. I'm just saying. I did. I didn't realize that there was an example above that specified five. So, <laughs> oops. Yeah. All right. So that's going to stink. I'll do, I'll figure something out for that for next section. All right. Well, oh, but yes. Yeah, so I, that's, I mean, it's pretty easy in, in that particular sense. So, yeah. So, like, th- this is, this is an operation where you're going to, you need access to each element of this. So let's go back to the let's go back to the array example. Now yep. keep in mind, I'm just using an array as a way to easily discuss these as, from an example point of view. But these these uh, you know O of one O of n operations, like it doesn't have to require you know an array. It's just easy to to reason about it if we use that as an example. So going back to the array of five uh, integers example that Joe doesn't like that threw him off, if uh, <laughs> If you know what we're saying here with the O of N is like you have to you have to access each one of those. So if you wanted to sum up the array, then you need to access each element of the array in order to add it to your running total, for example, right? Or if you wanted to, you know, if you assume that you didn't have a, let's assume that the array was full of random numbers that aren't um, sorted, right? And you just wanted to find the smallest one. Well, in order to find the smallest number in that array, you'd have to visit each number to see is it smaller than the one you're currently, you know, claiming to be the smallest, right? Yep. So what he's basically saying here in a nutshell is if you're looping over a collection and you're hitting every item in the collection, you're automatically at O of N. Best case scenario, you're at O of N. That's one way to put it, yeah. You know, what I think it's really interesting here. <laughs> it's actually a really good way. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we dropped those constants, if you take your input size and say half it or divide it by three, which is going to drastically re- you know, reduce the amount of time it actually takes to run, it still doesn't count. It's still considered O of N. So if you say, uh, let's say you create a function called um, max number good enough, that only looks at the first half of the array. It takes the biggest number it finds there and says, you know what, this is probably fine and returns it. That's still on order of n, even though it only ever looks at half the input. And that's because you're dividing by a constant number. Is that true, though? Totally. If, I don't think I can argue this one. But that that's... I, I, I miss it because I was reading something else. He, he was basically saying if you, if, you, if you were to say that I'm only going to go through the first half of this, this particular collection then it doesn't matter because you're you're getting rid of the constant you're basically throwing it out you're still saying it's o of n but the only reason i'm i'm struggling with that is we're going to get into the o of log uh, o yep. log in here in a second which is the whole divide and conquer thing which is what it sounds like you're saying though right like that's yep. 
So we might. The, so the difference there is that divide and conquer means you divide and 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 you keep dividing until okay. you get to your result. So we're and all I'm saying is one. you divide by once, a constant. It's not a factor of my input. Okay, good. I'm point. not saying divide by, you know, um, what's the a logarithm of use the case of this? Uh, there's not. He, he was just making that up. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean, um, like I mean, the, I, guess one, you could. I think the example I said where like you only look at half of an input. I mean, that's totally contrived. But you can think of like some sort of heuristic solution to an algorithm or, or to a problem that's similar. We say like, um, you know, I give up after so long because this is going to be good enough. Because I, you know, say you're like in a real time context or something where you've got to make a decision in one second, like you're a AI in a game or something, and you say, you know what? Here's your time bound. And so if you don't get through the whole input, just give up. Who cares? I could see where you do something like that with photos. When you got pixels and color ranges, like, you know, you might skip every second pixel because things that are that close to each other might not matter that much. Like I could see where you do something like that. So, uh, but, but okay. So I get what you're saying because you're not constantly subdividing and you're only doing it the one time you're saying, Hey, divide this by two and then go. Then that constant gets thrown out. And so you're still at O, O of N. Yep. All right. That's because when you chart it on the, on the uh, you know the graph of time there, it's still going to form a straight line. So it's still going to be linear. It's just going to be you know half of what uh, a normal you know slope of one and one would look like. And that that makes perfect sense because really what you'd be seeing is an equation that said O of n divided by two. That divided by two gets tossed out the window. So that's you're totally right. So that's O of n. So I think what we've already said then is that this is a linear operation. Um, uh, and that, you know, cause as the size of N grows, so will the number of operations. Now <clears throat> I'm going to reference big O Chishi multiple times in here cause I love it. Uh, and this is in our yellow range. So does this mean you should not use it? it, it it's just, it's fair. <laughs> you can use it, but you should definitely be aware, right? If you're doing it. If you have to go over everything in the array or your l- collection, as you so eloquently said, then, uh, then, you know, you, you just need to be aware of like what you, what your expected sizes of that collection might be. Right. So that you can be aware of it. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So let's get into a fun one then. So O of one, O of one and O of N, those were kind of easy, right? The, from here on, they're going to get w- weird and fun, <laughs> right? But in a good, that, that's the kind of stuff that we like. So O of N squared, right? Um, wait, who put this? Oh, that was me. I augmented the notes a little bit. Sorry. Oh, was this the, the, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm totally thrown off. Now. All right, Joe, you you take this one. Yeah. And then he'll get yes. back on track in a moment. Sorry. So for Derailed. constant time, uh, order of one, then you don't have to look at all of your input. That's how the way I kind of oh, think right. of it. Like, you don't, you know, it, the input size doesn't matter because you're not really looking at your input. You're either returning like, the first element of your array or you're returning a hard-coded value or you're doing something else entirely. Um, and in order M, we said you look at most at all of your inputs once, at most. So N squared is the worst case. You're looking at each input for each input at worst. Right. Right. So, okay. I, I see where you're going with that now. So let's go back to my five element array example, right? And suppose that you wanted to return back a new collection that paired up 
every number with every other number in the array, including itself, right? So, you know, your your numbers in the array might just be one, two, three, four, five, but you want to return back pairs like one, 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 two, one, three, et cetera, up to like five, one, five, two, five, three, et cetera, right? That's what Joe's describing is that you have to have a loop that goes, an outer loop that goes over your array and then an inner loop that goes over it a second time in order to pair those up, right? And that, that because you're doing that second loop, you're going over every element again, that's where you get into n squared. So that five element array, you're going to go over it 25 times to produce that pair. Yep. So two things. One, did anybody else here, one, two, three, four, five, and think that's a combination of my luggage? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's one. But if you've ever seen the code where you'll see something like for i equal zero, i less than, you know, array dot length, and then i plus plus, and then inside that you'll have for j equal zero, j less than array dot length, mm-hmm. j plus plus. That's exactly what he's talking about. You've got two nested loops. Or you've got a nested loop that are both going over the same array thing the same number of times, and then that's how you get into this n squared problem. Right. So if you, if, another way to say that is the outer loop is doing it n times, and the inner loop is doing it n times. Yep. Therefore, it's n times n, which is n squared. Yep. And if you remember when we talked about a bubble sort, we said that it was a worst case scenario of uh, uh, n squared because every number looks at every other number. But what's kind of funny about that is um, when you say that, you kind of gloss over the fact that you never compare a number to itself. There's nothing to swap. There's nothing you do. So in, a, in an actual bubble ca- uh, bubble sort um, example, if you actually like console log to every operation, you're actually not going to see 25. I think you'd probably see 24. I could be a little wrong on that, but um, I'd be less. But uh, the deal is, you know, you don't compare the first number with the first number. So, like, your outer loop starts at zero and your inner loop starts at one because there's no point comparing. So, it's just kind of one of those funny cases where the actual, you know, quote, unquote, actual uh, big O would be N times parentheses N minus one. But because you drop those constants again, you just end up with N minus – or, sorry, N, N, N multiplied by N. Yep. N squared. Yep. Hmm. So, and this operation is highly efficient, Yes. No. No. <laughs> no. No. These are not considered efficient. In fact, um, almost every time uh, I've had like an interview whiteboard problem or some some sort of uh, interviewee tech problem, uh, they give you a solution that kind of has an obvious solution where you're like, oh, I could do it this way, and it's N squared. And it, pretty much any time in an interview you see an N squared problem, you can get that thing down to N log N, if not lower. Yeah, and and that's the key is understanding that you're looking at nested loops and that, oh, this is going to be N squared. And that's the first, just like what you said, that's the first thing the interviewer is going to say, hey, uh, you know, what's the complexity of this? And if you can't look at it and say, oh, that's N squared, oh, of N squared, then that's going to be like rule number one. They're going to be like, oh, man, this guy doesn't even really know what he's looking at. And just knowing the the notation, knowing the naming for this is going to be a big one. And then you look at it and you say, oh, that's O N squared. And then they're going to say, well, can you make it better? And then you're going to have to go, oh yeah, I think I can. But I do want to, I do want to like make one uh, clarification there though. It, it's nested loops over the same, over the same collection. Set. Yeah. Right. Just be, if you see a nested loop, that's not necessarily in it and of itself. It could be two different collections. Right. Yeah. That, that doesn't necessarily in and of itself equal O of N squared. It could still be very bad. Yes. But you know, it's it's 
when we have the same the same list that we're iterating over, that's when it's guaranteed. You know, you're looking at O of n squared. Definitely. Yeah, and actually, um, we keep talking about n as if like that's always the the kind of the inputs to a um a function. But if you remember the graph algorithms, the, some of the complexity there in time would be like the number of nodes times the number of vertices or, or something like that. And so the inputs, um, it, you can slice things up differently if you're a math whiz and I am not. Um, but if you had, say, an, uh, an example of a function that took two arrays and multiplied the two by each other, then your algorithm complexity might be like, well, it's the size of array one multiplied by the size of array two. And sometimes in some algorithms, like, um, you'll, you'll actually see them specify like that way. So they'll say like big O of, um, N times N is a common one. They'll use the letter M. And sometimes you'll see them say like, yeah, they're both inputs. Screw it. Let's just call it N squared. Right. Because uh, math is ambiguous. It can be. Oh. There's probably some solid rules on when they, when they differentiate like that. So, so where does this thing land on the big O cheat sheet? Now we're getting into the reds. This is, this is, this is, um, let me say, of your bad scenarios, this is the best of the bads. How's that? <laughs> does that make sense? Yep, that does. Like, if you had to go down a terrible path, this would be your best of the worst choices that you had. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of put it in perspective. If you remember, um, I'm, I'm just going to simplify and say for input size one. So, our, our uh, constant time, input size one was one second, um, 1,000 was one second. For linear, our input size of 1,000 was 1,000 seconds. Now, our order and squared algorithms, it's going to be uh, 1,000 times 1,000, so 1 million seconds. That's a lot of seconds. Yeah, that really is. For for 1,000 inputs, right? So 1, you now inputs. went from 1,000 seconds to a million seconds. Yep. Oh, my, Sorry, I'm multiplying the kind there. Yeah, that's a, that's you know, a pretty big deal. I totally forgot. We're talking about these these one seconds in the input size, but we actually covered this last episode. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, with the uh, uh, it wasn't last episode, but it was a couple. Yeah, of it was, no, it was Jeff Atwood's. Uh, everything is fast for small n. You and I discussed this, didn't we? And we were saying that like for uh, o of you know if, if n was one, then it was less than. For n, where are we on n squared? Yeah. So if if n is one, it's less than one second. But uh, you know, for n of like sixteen million, it was eight thousand nine hundred and twenty three years. Right. It's ridiculous. So these 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 n squareds get big, right? And and like Mike said, this is not even the worst. This is just where you're dipping your toe into the red. <laughs> it, it goes really bad after this. Well, it's more than dipping your toe. It's very much in the red. <laughs> yeah, you're but, in the red. But it, of your other alternatives, this is like the best. Yep. That's it. I totally, like this is the the where I will stop writing. Uh, I, like I won't go worse than this in like code I'm doing. So I'll absolutely write N squared code sometimes because it's faster for me to write and easier to debug. And I'm sure there's better algorithms out there. But if I'm dealing with, say, a max of 50 items in my array. And I know that I'm never going to go more than whatever, then I don't feel too bad doing, a, you know, nested for loops for something. And I know it could sort it ahead of time and get that to, um, n log n, like with merge sort and then loop through it again. So it's n log n plus n. So we drop that second n because it's the same as saying two n log n. So just drop the constant. 
Um, sorry for that divergence, but, but yeah, so it's and log in. So it's absolutely faster, but for an input size of 50, you're not going to see that benefit and the code is going to be miserable. And that that's true. But I mean, to your point though, I, I, we've all, we've all done, this is why I was saying like, you know, of the worst case scenarios, you know, O of N squared, it's bad. But if you had to go down a bad path, this is your best choice because, you know, we've all written code where we've gone over that collection multiple times because as we're in the process of developing it, right, you're just, you're in the creative kind of mindset and you're just like, let me get the thought out, right? As to like how this might work. And then you can come back and start refactoring it and tweaking it as you go along, right? But your first iteration, yeah, maybe it's not ideal and you, you know, your initial iteration, you write it O of N squared. But again, like Joe's saying, you're, you're probably not right, you know, working with large inputs in the beginning, like, you know, as you're developing it, right? And this is where knowing the use case matters a lot, right? What you just said about writing code that's going to be nasty or gnarly to look at, right? Like there's always a trade-off, right? There's the readability of the code and then there's the performance of the code. If you know that things never going to grow past 50 and in real world scenarios, these 50 iterations twice isn't at one second per Right. Like we're, we're yeah. saying one second just so that it's easy to do the numbers. But you know, when you're talking milliseconds, okay, it's probably not going to kill you if you just have an, uh, an array or a collection of 50. But that's when you have to know like, Oh, well, wait a second. This thing's going to start growing because we're going to get, you know, now we're dealing with customer orders and we plan to one day have a thousand, you know, per hour or something. Who knows? Um, so you just kind of have to know about these things and, and plan for them as best as you can. You know, again, going going back to uh, Jeff Atwood's um, graph here or table here, you know, if we assumed that the input instead of 50 was 256, then N squared is 65 seconds, right. according to, you know, each one being a consistent unit of time right. equal to one millisecond. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, to each of their own, but but just be aware of your use case. And, and I like what we got here. What, what about O of N to the third, O of N cubed? Is that a thing? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're talking about O N squared, we don't necessarily mean just a you know a, a nested for loop. It could also be n to the fourth or n to the fifth or anything in polynomial time. So I just wanted to kind of call that out. Like um, most of the time, though, most things that we look at, it's just going to be n squared. So that's kind of like the most common thing. And so like with all the stuff we're talking about today, all, like all the examples of the curves, like there's all sorts of stuff in between that we're kind of skimping over just to kind of keep things. Um, you know, reasonable to talk about, but these are generally the the rough classifications of algorithms. So there's like big groups and like so things like hash table lookups and array lookups, like those tend to be uh, constant. Um, sorting and log n is kind of like the de facto kind of standard there. Um, n squared is kind of getting into the stuff where it's like there's almost <laughs> at least in every interview I've ever been to, there's almost always a way to get that thing to to way faster. You know, so like n squared is kind of like the uh, there's a better way to do it zone. You know what's funny about this? You know where I see this stuff happen a lot that that's typically just accidental or lack of knowledge or or just not knowing what people are doing is when you have something like an array or some sort of underlying storage mechanism and somebody does a count on it uh, or, you know, something to where there's not uh, some sort of indexer that gives you the thing. And I don't think counts uh, one, but like if you have an I enumerable, uh, you know, in C sharp, a lot of times it'll tell you, Hey, be careful because you're probably going to have to enumerate this entire thing to get the count. And right. you'll see people do it two or three times in a method. And you're like, Oh my God, like 
dude, get the count of that thing stored in a variable and then use that later, right? So you kind of have to be aware of the constructs or the data structures you're even using because you might be doing this and not even realize it, right? Like you might even not have, like you said, nested loops. You might just be calling the same thing over and over, not knowing what the underlying operation is going to be. And actually, um, one of the, like the most common things that I do correct, uh, when I see them is if I see things that are um, using arrays and they keep looking up something by a value in the array. And so they'll say like, it'll iterate through the array to look for an object whose key equals one, two, three. Right. And so you'll see, you know, a bunch of lookups that happen in a loop and they won't cache it. And so it'll be like a hundred times and it's looking this up. And as you know, like that's a, a linear time. So as that input size grows, then you're doing a lot of extra work. But if you convert that thing to a hash table, yep. which has constant lookup, then that's a huge savings of time. And it's often something that's really easy to do. You just kind of pay the hit to enumerate from that array to a hash table once, and then lookups are cheap ever after. Now, Wait that- a minute, though. I, I missed something there with your example. Because an array lookup would be constant. By value. By, by value. By, um, oh, by value. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's the part I missed. Yeah. So, yeah. so the interesting thing, though, is, and that's where you start getting into the other side of the equation, which is you were initially talking about time. Now you've doubled your space, right? It, typically, we'll, we'll say if, if everything had a unique value, then you've just doubled your space because you got the same amount of data in your array and now you have the same amount of data in a hash table, but you've well, reduced your time. Uh, well, kinda. assuming they're all unique. That's what I was Well, thinking. if you're dealing with, um, if you're dealing with reference types, so like objects on the heap, like you don't duplicate the whole object. You you have a separate pointer to the object on the heap, but you're not you know making a duplicate copy of every customer record. Oh, you're talking about just pointing back to the array. Okay. Well, I mean, like not necessarily in the array. Like the array is going to be an array of if it's a complex object like in C sharp, it's going to be an array of pointers to the heap. Right. For those right. objects. Fair enough. And when you do the hash table, it's going to be pointers. So you, if you modify the object at you know array index five and change the customer's name, it's also going to affect that hash table because they're both pointing to the same object. Okay. So th- that's where, God, it's been a long time since we talked about the stack versus heap, but this is where you kind of have to know your constructs of your language too, right? So if you had complex objects like that, it would be pointing to the heap so anything referencing that would all be pointing to the same objects which is what he's saying so you don't double your space however if you had an array of primitives like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten whatever and you put that into a hash then you are doubling your space because that's all going to be on the stack which is you know operating at the the current function so yeah i mean it, a lot of this stuff goes really deep but it's you know Again, there's a trade-off, right? Do you keep scanning the index of the arrays to find the stuff, or do you just put it into separate storage and then know that you can get to those values immediately on constant lookup time, right? So, yeah. So that's kind of like a neat little shortcut. I know anytime I see like some sort of a linked list or array index um, lookup by value, where it like looks at each each one and looks at, it, I know that's easy hash table replacement. So if that's something that's going slow, like in the UI, it's kind of hanging the thread, and that's something I'm going to look for. It's just an easy win. Yep. And, and when you say this is all very language dependent, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And hash tables are their whole other thing. We're not going to get into that because a lot of it depends on how efficient the hashing algorithm is and collisions and yada yada. So. Yeah, but then you've also got dictionaries and, and map objects. It, Data structures would be a good conversation to have. It, it would. It's, I mean, it, it actually takes this to the next level to where you can probably do more with what we're talking about right now if you actually understand the underlying data structures. And, you know, I was looking, you mentioned um, about uh, heap versus stack. 
Did we ever do, I don't think we ever did like a topic specifically on it. I think it was just like a byproduct of like a boxing oh, and unboxing, boxing and unboxing. conversation, yep. right? So going, so the boxing and unboxing conversation was episode two. God, that's been a few. So it's been a few yeah. days ago. It's been a couple episodes <laughs> since we've talked about it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we do something like that in the future. I, I mean, it's it's definitely something that if you're not aware of, can really bite you <laughs> over time. So, anyways, all right. So, hey, I'm gonna take a quick uh, break and uh, ask you to leave us a review if you haven't already, because we really appreciate it. it. Helps us grow the show. Helps us find new people, helps us keep doing what we're doing. So if you like what you hear, then drop a five star review in there and that would help us out. And if you don't like it, drop a five star review and send us an email and uh, we can talk about it. All right. So now we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So last episode I asked, does having multiple monitors improve your productivity? And your choices were absolutely. And on the bright side, pun, pun, I get to work on my tan from all the extra UV light or no, but it can be a nice luxury. And lastly, it depends on the code base. The smellier the code, the more monitors I need that and air fresheners. All right. So Joe, you weren't here last week or last episode. So I will let you go first. Okay. Which one do you uh, think was most popular? Absolutely. It does improve your productivity with uh, 43%. 43%. Absolutely. Dang, son. All Even right. though I use one. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with absolutely and I'll go 44. 44. Wow. He's going to yes. over, over, oversell it by one. Price is right. 44. Maybe. Price is right rules. That's right. All right. Well, I'm sorry, Joe. Alan wins. <laughs> yeah. All right. How far was it? Is it 60s? 65? Uh, 83% percent was absolutely. Wow. Did anything get zero? Uh, I mean, surprisingly, the it depends was like really close. It was, it wasn't very much. So, um, I mean, it wasn't zero, but it, 0%, but it, it definitely didn't have a lot of love, which I was surprised about. Like, did, which, which one did you guys think would like, how do you honestly feel like which one, which what was, what's your answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. You absolutely think it makes you more product productive. Yeah, man, definitely. But Joe, you just said you only use one monitor. So why space? <laughs> that space is also important to me. So I'm taking a productivity hit for a little bit of sanity. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I, I have an option for you. Just buy, buy like a 50 inch 4k. Then you're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know about a fifty yeah. inch. I am I am looking for a new monitor and I was thinking about getting um a um like a forty something four K monitor, but I really kinda want a curved because so I had to get rid of the LG, sadly, and so I'm looking for something to replace it. And that's why I'm down to the one monitor, but I'm kinda like <sighs> You know, I mean, if you're working on a laptop, you only have, if you were using just the laptop, right? If you're out and about, you only have the one monitor. So are you saying that you can't be productive on just your laptop? I mean, it, you know what? It, you're not as pretty. You all tab a ton when you're on a laptop, right? I will say though, and I mean, Macs have had this forever with the virtual desktops. Those help a lot. And, and well, on Windows too. Windows has it too, yeah. Yeah. And so 
Windows introduced it, I don't remember, maybe last year. I can't remember. But using virtual desktops really is nice. And on Windows, you know, like on Mac, I just would four-finger swipe to the various different screens. On Windows, you can Windows tab to get to them. Or Windows Arrow. Or Windows Arrow. And just like on Mac, you can control it. No, Windows Arrow doesn't do that. Windows Arrow moves my windows around on the screen. Uh, You can, I want to say it's like a window control Control window arrow. That's what I do online. And, and you yeah. can you can change between desktops or you can window tab and then it'll bring up all your desktops. But um and depending on what what drivers you have, like if you're on a laptop, for example, with a touchpad, the drivers there might also support like a three or four swipe. finger swipe yep. to go from one desktop to the other. But also on the Mac, you can just press control in the arrow and you can flip between desktops. Hey, so here's a little tip for you. God, this is the wrong time of show, but on the, the Windows tab thing, one thing that, it, and one of the reasons why I didn't adopt the virtual desktop on Windows sooner was because my Outlook would be on one screen and my Skype would be on one screen. And so somebody would, would instant message me and I wouldn't get it. Right. And they're like, man, does this dude ever work? Right. <laughs> I come back over my screen like, oh man, he wrote me two hours ago. You can, if you Windows tab to where it shows you a list of all your windows at the top, you can right click on an application and say, show on all screens. And then that way, your Skype, your Outlook, and all those things will be available on every screen you go to so that if you do get a notification, you'll know about it. So I actually find that Skype and Outlook aren't so bad though in that in particular scenario you're describing because they, they're pretty good about at least without having to do that show on all desktops that you're describing. Um, they wouldn't show up on my other ones, but I actually kind of like it. Like when I use the multiple desktops, uh, within windows, it's because I want like, here's my communication quote, you know, quote communication, right. Window desktop, you know, here's my, here's my coding desktop, right. You know, um, just to like keep the worlds of sanity, you know, keep keep those things separate (laughs) so I can stay sane. Cause otherwise, it can it can really be frustrating if you're trying to like stay in some mindset while you're working through a problem and then you see a a you know slack or skype or email come in and you're like you, you, all you got to do is see like just the first you know line of it and you're like oh i didn't know what that is i want to read the rest of it or i want to respond to it and you're like oh man now i'm out of it i might have been late for my scrum today because i was kind of <laughs> doing that i was just sitting there working and i get pinged hey you coming i was like oh oh yeah my bad i guess but you know no judging <laughs> yeah no judging all right all right so let's do today's survey is how's your math <laughs> so your your choices are there's an app for that or was great in primary school. Now, who calls it primary school? Yeah, man. Really? Hey, we're, we're international friendly here. Oh, oh, is that what it is? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good call. Uh, Way to be PC, man. Man, I'm going to hear about that. <laughs> Dang. Uh, your third choice, I can tip 20% comfortably. Or I can still find the area under a curve. And lastly, I can still log of E with the best of them. That's LN of you. That's a natural log. Oh, sorry. I misread that. So see, I already failed. I can, I can still natural log of E with the best of them. 
I, I am curious what the results of this one are going to be. And I'm, I'm going to guess right now that me, neither me nor Joe will get this answer right. Yeah, I should have said uh, I can tip 20% uncomfortably. <laughs> I actually I added a, a digit somehow uh, the other day. And I was like, oh, wait, that's like a $1,000 tip. What's going on here? <laughs> that's because you're a baller. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that was a mistake. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Datadog. Datadog is a software-as-a-service monitoring platform that provides developer and operation teams with a unified view of their infrastructure, apps, and logs. Thousands of organizations rely on Datadog to collect, visualize, and alert on out-of-the-box and custom metrics to gain full-stack observability with a unified view of all their infrastructure, apps, and logs at cloud scale. Yeah, they've got 200 or more turnkey integrations, including AWS, PostgreSQL, Kubernetes, Slack, and Java. Check out the full list of their integrations over at datadog.com slash product slash integrations. Some fe- key features include real-time visibility from built-in and customizable dashboards, algorithmic alerts like anomaly detection, outlier detection, forecasting alerts, end-to-end request tracing to visualize app performance and real-time collaboration. So check it out. Datadog is offering listeners a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. And as an added bonus for signing up and creating a dashboard, they'll even send you a Datadog t-shirt. We've got some. They look really nice. Head to www.datadog.com slash coding blocks and sign up today. All right, so let's go ahead and jump back in here. And the very next one is where things start getting a little bit more interesting, like Mike said. And we have O log of N. And I think we mutilated this a little bit before, although I think we got to the right answer. So when we're talking about big O, lo- big o notation with log of N, we're talking of base two and we're, when we're talking about software terms of this, right? So Yeah, and what we mean when we say log ends, we're kind of skipping around a little bit in terms of growth here. But what we mean is that uh, we're just talking about log of n logarithm of n so we're only looking at a fraction of our input and this is the one where it's very different from looking at just half your input because what we need to do is kind of keep dividing so an example here i like is looking up something in a dictionary where you kind of flop that big book open if you remember those are and like you know your words in the s's and you see uh, you, you know you're in the piece and you know you need to guess again and kind of flop a bunch of pages to the right and like ultimately you only end up doing like say eight eight page flops to look up something in a thousand page book which is really efficient really nice and that's an example of a log uh, log n that's different from divide because if we were to divide that dictionary in half you would still look at like 500 pages of that 1000 looking for your item so this is like an example of like a binary search, right? It is kind of what you're talking about, like this divide and conquer approach to things, which we talked about, I think, three episodes ago. Yeah, we talked about that one recently. Another example, another real world example that we talked about it at the same time was get bisect. Right. So again, like Joe said, just splitting it up and, and keep making the thing smaller until you get to the answer you need without having to go through every single item in the, in, in your collection. If- yeah. In fact, if I remember correctly, uh, Joe, when we did discuss this uh, the binary search type of divide and conquer type of operation, used the phone book analogy, right? Where it was like, you know, you're going to skip to what you think is going to be the right, and then you'll divide that, divide that. You know, you'll keep dividing until you get to about where you need to be. Yep. Yep. And uh, so to kind of put this in perspective, this ends up being um, slower than constant time. 
and it's going to be less than linear. So it's sublinear. So it ends up being between O of 1 and less than O of N. And uh, kind of an example here to kind of put that in terms of seconds is if, um, you know, our old uh, one input one second example for a 1000 size input, it's going to take 10 seconds. So compared to linear, which for 1000 took 1000 seconds, that's a huge difference. So log n isn't just a little bit better than linear. It's way better. It's much closer to the constant line than it is to, oh gosh, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it feels like it's much closer to the constant line. Well, than it is. Okay. So, so let me put it, let me go back to the Jeff Atwood example then where it's where each unit of time was, a, was one millisecond of CPU time then for every size of N that he has listed here from one to 16.7 million uh, O log N is less than one second for all of those. So yeah, it is it, what you said is actually very true. It is very close to constant time, uh, even as numbers get outrageous. And I think, uh, Mike, don't you have the big O cheat sheet thing on this one as well? Oh yeah, this is this is green. This is very green. This is this is where you want to be. And it's it's literally like so. Going back to what you just said, Joe, like if you look at the big O cheat sheet, like the lines are so close to each other, they basically just put a comma between the O log of n and O so O of one. So yeah, I just looked it up, and so I feel much better. It is indeed much, 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 much closer to constant than it is to just n. Yeah. And uh, you know, I ha since we're talking about logarithms here, I wanted to at least like maybe remember like how, how, what this is. Right. So if we were to say that, uh, we had X to the third power equals 27 and we wanted to try to solve for X, then we could say, okay, well, fine. Well, it's X to the third. So it's being cubed equals 27. So we could, we could take the cube root of 27 to solve for X. Right. But if we had a, if we were to flip those around and instead we had a number, an equation that was like, 2 to the x equals 16, right? And now we got to solve for x. Well, that's the type of problem that we're trying to solve. That's what logarithms are, are solving for us. That's what this is doing for us. So, you know, this is, when we say that the 2 to the x equals 16 is, well, how many times do we have to multiply 2 to get in, to get to 16, right? Um, I mean, is that making sense? Is that helping, you think? I mean, yeah, that's your logarithm would be log 16, right? Is what you call it, base two here. Yeah, base two. Yep. That's yeah, it scales super well. I mean, it's almost flat as things kind of stretch on. So, yeah, logarithm is really great. And you'll see um, a lot of really great solutions to algorithms. Um, you'll start out with the brute force uh, solution, which would be like n squared or polynomial. And someone will figure out, hey, if we can convert this to a log n problem if we also do this. And so they'll loop over the input or they'll sort it, for, sort it first and do something that lets them kind of sneak this log in in there somewhere, preferably in, inside an inner loop. And so that's kind of the secret. And so if you're kind of used to dealing with these um, algorithmic complexities and looking at big O, then you kind of know like whenever you see an o, uh, o of n squared on something like an exam or an interview, like be looking for a way to reduce that inner loop to a log n operation. 
either by sorting or doing something like a binary search or doing something to reduce the inputs that you look at and reduce duplicate work. And uh, so, yeah, it's really important to look at those logins because they scale so well. It makes things so much better. So when we, you know, we use that uh, array of five integers, right, as just kind of like a a baseline to discuss some of this, right? And uh, in that example, or with with that array size of five, if we did an operation that was O of login, we're only going to have three operations on that, right? So you can see how like um, the O of N would be five operations and now O of login is three. So we've already cut it down. And this is where that the scaling comes in where Joe was saying like how much better it gets because if N was instead a hundred, then we'd only have seven operations. Yeah, only two more steps for, uh, you know, 95 more for 20. 20 times the input size, two more steps. That's amazing. Or well, four more steps. Uh, yeah, it four was more three, steps. now seven. Yeah. See, math is uh, hard. Well, you know where I, math is hard. That's why there's enough for that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy enough to visualize, right? Because let's just put out numbers a little bit real quick. So two to the fifth is 32, right? Two to the eighth. Is 256. So adding three more, you got to 256. Now let's just do two to the 12th here, just for the heck of it. And it gets big really fast. So where did 4096? 12th. Yeah. So 4096. So, so 12 operations would get you 4096 inputs, right? And that's, that's kind of what, what we're saying is even as the number of N grows, like 4096 N, that's only 12 operations there. If you did two to the, uh, 20th, right? 20 operations would get you in the ballpark of 1,048,576 inputs. So 20 operations. So that thing, you know, 20 operations for over a million inputs isn't much worse than when we were down at 12 operations for what was that number? 256, I think. Oh, for the, uh, two to the 12th. I can't remember now. Oh, two to, two to the 12th was 4096. 4096. So yeah, man, you, you had eight more operations and you were able to do, you know, 2000 times the work. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. So, so yeah. Yeah. You're like, Hey, here's a, here's a, a book with 4,000 names that I need you to find me something. And I'm able to say, yeah, I, can, I only need to look at 12 of them. It's going to take me go. 12 seconds. Right. Yeah. I'm done. At worst, at worst, at worst. Right. Right. Well, it, you know, when you put it like that, Joe, it's kind of reminds you of those type of questions where it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but like the, uh, oh gosh, what's the, like the, not the state fairs, but the carnival type questions where it's like, Hey, I can answer this. And like, I can answer something about you in X number of uh, questions. Uh, right. Uh, you know, where they, they all terrible at this. Slightly yeah. trick things. I always think of name that tune. I can name that tune in three notes. <laughs> and when they do it in one note, you're like, what? Nobody yeah, can do yeah. that. How's that? Awesome. How's that possible? Yep. And, and cool. everyone listening is like, what's the name of that tune? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I think, uh, you're not going to touch that. No, no, we're not. <laughs> so, so the next part, I, I think we need to skip this piece right here because it leads right into the next one, right? Like kind of takes over it. So who, who wants to pick up on the next big O notation thing? Uh, I could do that. So we kind of talked a little bit about um, 
you know, n squared and how a lot of times you can kind of reduce those problems. And so you take one of those loops that's looping over your full input and you figure out how to half it and half it and half it and half it or take, you know, some sort of subdivision of it and get that, uh, convert that inner loop into a log n operation. And then if you're still keeping the outer loop and you got an n log n. And this comes up a lot, like all the sorting algorithms, like a lot of famous algorithms um, are all basically kind of riffs on that notion where they take some sort of brute force solution, which runs in polynomial time, and they figure out how to reduce part of it and they shift things around and then you end up with the n log n operation. And what that means is, you know, a kind of example you can think of like crudely is that you, um, you take an, an array of five numbers and you loop through each of those five numbers and where you would in the n squared algorithm have looped through those five numbers again for a total of 25 uh, operations. Now we're saying we only need to look at half and a half and a half. And so what is that like one or two uh, operations? On the inner loop, right? So you're talking about you're still going through the outer loop of your five elements, but then your inner loop, you're going to use something like some sort of search, right? Something that yep. goes in. And so now you're splitting that thing. So your outer loop is still O of N, but your inner loop is now O log N, right? And that you can't throw away. When you've got two of these things, now you have to multiply them together. And so your O of N times your uh, O log of N is now O N log N, which I think is what me and Michael were talking about last time where I was like, wait, I think that'd be slower. And then I got called out many, many times say, no, it totally can't. So... <laughs> Just, you know, that's that's where, again, what you were saying earlier, Joe, about things falling in between, right? This one falls in between O of N and uh, N squared polynomial. Yeah, O N squared. So Yeah, and unfortunately, it's much square, closer to the N squared in this case. So it's not a great curve. It's not nearly as close to linear as other ones, but it can have a really big impact. And for example, uh, for that 1,000 input size, the one second thing, uh, the N squared was 1 million seconds. This is 10,000 seconds. That's big. Yeah. So it's big. You know, 10,000 seconds is a long time. It's much worse than our 1,000 seconds. It's 10 times worse uh, in the linear case, but it's still nowhere near a million. So it's much better than N squared, but we're, you know, it's not great. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, going back to our big O cheat sheet, this is in the orange category. So it, you know, and in fact, the way they have it drawn there, it's closer. It's not exact, but it's closer to the 45 degree angle. Uh, I think I heard someone mention earlier. Yeah, I, I said that. Yeah. It, it, it's not a 45, and it's actually a curve, not a straight line, but it's closer to it, right? Um, but definitely in that orange area where mm, this is, this is probably bad. You know, you should, you should be concerned. You know, unless you absolutely need to do this. And if you're in an interview, you know, they give you the, the problem to solve. You, you figure out how to do N squared. And they say, can you do it better? You say, yes, of course. Here's how I get to N log N. They might ask you, can you get it better again? Now, this is the point where if you look at the problem, you might be able to figure out some sort of really clever solution and say, uh, yeah, you can get it down to end time, but they usually won't have you coded. <laughs> so, you know, if you're in an interview, it seems to always or often follow this kind of pattern when they give you obvious brute force, you get it down to end log n, which is much better. And sometimes there's a clever solution that you might be able to identify and relate that is going to go faster than that, but usually that's going to be really tricky and really hard. 
But it does seem like a lot of the N-squared problems that you run into, either out in the real world or kind of in interviews or like code wars, a lot of them can be reduced to analog in. That's a definite strong pattern there. And just as a heads up, what you said, the, you know, with creative solutions or they get tricky, a lot of times it's just knowing math, right? I mean, and that's, it's kind of unfortunate, but that's really what it boils down to. Like if, if somebody gives you, you know, you have an array and all the numbers are sequential, you know, and one of them's duplicated, how do you find the other one? Well, you're probably as a programmer, you're like, well, I'll loop through it and find the one that shows up twice, right? Well, now you're in ON time. But if you were to just sum the entire, well, I mean, I guess you're still in ON time, but there's a way to where you don't have to scan it twice and have extra storage. And you can basically, there's an equation to where, and I've got a link that actually came out of, uh, oh my God, what's the name of this? The, uh, The Imposter's Handbook. That's a YouTube link to a guy named number file, mm-hmm. uh, but there are equations to where you can, if you know the beginning and the end of a sequence, there's an equation you plug in that will give you the sum of the entire thing. And then all you have to do is take that minus the diff of, of what you expected and you've got your number, right? And so that's very fast time for what you probably would have in your programmer mindset. Well, I'll just loop through it and do this thing, right? Yeah. I, I was actually given one of these as a, as a question one time, then it totally threw me off because I didn't, I didn't recognize it for being a constant time. Cause like, why, why would I? Right. But, but the way the question was worded was you have an array of unknown size of integers that are not sorted. So they're not, they're not in order. And, um, but they are all unique integers and they all start at, I want to say, if I remember, I don't remember if it was zero or one. I'm pretty sure it started at one, right? The array started at one. And um, there's, they're all, let me say how to say this. If you were to, to sort them, they would all be contiguous, except there's one missing one. And you got to find the missing integer, yep. right, out of that list. And I didn't recognize that, oh, yeah, there's a math formula for that because, you kind of already have an idea as to what the max um, integer is based off of the size of the array. Right. Right. So yeah, there was a formula for that. And I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. I I mean, going back to this, what Joe said, this is so important. Like if you're in an interview with one of the big tech companies out there, these are the types of questions that they ask because they want to see how you think through things. Right. And if there's a mathematical approach, it's probably worth asking the interviewer, Hey, is there some sort of formula I can use? Right. Is there, is there a mathematical equation I'm just not aware of to do this? And a lot of times they'll, you know, if they see that you thought in that, in that realm, they'll help you out and be like, okay, well, just assume you can call this function called, you know, get value. Right. And, and that they might go with that because like Joe said, a lot of times these things are way more complex and it's not like you're just going to be able to pop this formula off the top of your head, you know? Yeah. One example I really like is, um, trying to find prime numbers. Like if I ask you, hey, find me the, the two millionth prime number, then uh, kind of a naive approach is to say, well, I'm going to loop from one to two million and I'm going to check if each number is prime, which means checking if every it can be divided by any number less than it. So you can think that's n squared algorithm. Like we're going to loop until my, in, you know, in this case, it's not an input size. We're actually specifying like a limit, but it operates the same way. So um, 
you know, go to your input size and check each number less than it's n squared algorithm. It performs horribly and you're not going to make it to that two millionth number in a reasonable amount of time. But if you start thinking, well, you know what? If I want to know if the number five, or we'll say, we'll say 10, make it interesting. Uh, if the number 10 is interesting, or <laughs> if the number 10 is prime, I don't need to check if it's divisible by nine, because that's going to be covered by a smaller number. I only need to check numbers that are half of it or smaller. But then <laughs> you're going to do that. But what we, we kind of talked about tonight is like dividing in half doesn't change your runtime. So we're, we're going to be multiplying n for the outer loop times uh, n divided by 2. That's still an O n squared algorithm. So even though you're halving the operations you're going to do, you're still not going to find that 2 millionth prime in hours. You're going to have to run that thing all night. So the the solution here, I don't want to spoil you know, spoilers. It gets a lot more complicated if you try to write your own um, uh, prime number generator. But you only have to look up to the greatest common divisor. And you can even do that by keeping track of all the primes as you go along, which in this case would be 2 million. So your uh, space complexity is not going to be so great, but you can basically look at the prime numbers up to the GCD and reduce that. And so the, the net result is that you're going to end up running in, um, and I, I believe it's uh, n log n time uh, for a, a good prime number generator. And there's different techniques and different ways to get that even better and and whatever, but it's just kind of a cool way of seeing this kind of in practice where the obvious solution is terrible. And as you whittle it down, even things that seem like it'd be really good, like dividing in half, like you would think would make a huge impact, still going to run all night. It's not until you really like pare this down into a small, small logarithmic or even like um, a square root type solution or set of data to look at that you're going to see some real benefits. And so what you were saying, though, is you're trading off the time complexity for the space complexity in this case. Yeah, in that case where you're memorizing, that's actually a really common technique in some code wars problems and things like uh, Project Euler, where you actually, you absolutely do make the trade-off and say, you know what, I can store a million numbers in RAM, no problem, but I can't recompute million prime numbers from scratch every time. Right. So just to wrap up here on in log in. I don't know if this was said, but I wanted to make it clear that when we say in log in, that's n times the log of n. Yeah, and that's that's what I kind of screwed up on last time when we were like, well, that could get less than and no, no, for the most part, n log n is going to be greater than or it will be greater than n and less than n squared. So all right, who's got next? Let's get into the really bad ones now. <laughs> This is where it gets, this is where you have a very bad hockey stick on the graph. O of two to the N. So we're flipping the equation. Yep. And just to kind of give you some perspective here, you know, for our, the example of 1000 uh, where um, the constant time was one second, linear was 1000. Uh, in this case, 1000 input is, uh, I, I can't even tell you how many, much it is. It's like, Three with 200, it, I don't know, it's billions of years. It's it's longer, much older than the universe. Like there's not even names for the, how big this number is. Well, you've got three to the 284th. So scientific notation, basically three with a decimal spot that should move 284 places to the right billion years. So it's more yeah. than, it's more than three Googles. <laughs> oh, way more than Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Or 300. Does that make it an Amazon or an Apple? (laughs) It's like, or is it an Amazon plus an Apple? 
300 Google billion years. That's that's about what it sounds like. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's and you know what? I think I might have messed up a little bit. I think I should not have that billion in there. I think it should just be three with two eighty four zeros years. Oh, okay. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's three hundred Googles years. Yeah, but so, it's kind of like insignificant when you're like, you know, a billion's what, like eight more? Like who cares? Is it two hundred and eighty four zeros? Like, ugh. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, I was trying to find like examples of where we might be tempted to run into an O of two in to the N type of problem. And I was really having some trouble, but I did have find this one answer from um uh, Stack Overflow, where they the author of the answer suggested that algorithms running in O of two to the n are often recursive algorithms that solve a problem of size n by recursively solving two smaller problems of size n minus one. Uh, so things that keep going down and calling themselves or calling things that keep splitting it up. Yeah. So then that led me into thinking, like, well, hmm, where would we be talking about like? Because even in the, we mentioned the imposter's handbook, right? He mentions in another chapter that that was after Big O about, hey, here's a bad, um, a bad way to solve Fibonacci sequence, right? And he does this type of thing where it's like, hey, um, you know, Joe said, hey, solve to the two millionth prime number. Well, what if you were to give, be given a question of like, hey, solve to the you know one hundredth Fibonacci sequence, right? And the first iteration he was going is like, well, you take that 100 in and you would, you know, recursively go back, you know, 100 minus one and 100 minus two. And then each one of those would recursively go back, well, you know, 99 minus one and 99 minus two and then 98 minus one and 90. So he drew out this graph of it, right? And he was like, he worked with much smaller numbers than 100. I probably should have picked with something smaller. And, and you could see that like he, the point that he was showing in the, in the, Diagram though was that like look at how many times the same function with the same uh, argument gets called in that regard, right? And he didn't call it out specifically as O of two to the n. So that's why I was like getting kind of thrown in my own head. Like I think this is two of O to the n. I think it sounds based on the description. Like you're doing something twice, running two smaller ones that both do something in, in operations. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, um, but it, it sounds right. I mean, the thing is, you know, when you see this kind of stuff was when people try and break up problems into super modular type solutions. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I, I, you see this kind of stuff with, with uh, SQL queries and that kind of thing. You try and make SQL uh, modular and you start running into this kind of garbage where, you know, you keep calling the same methods over and over to get the same results back, you know, X number of times. And this is where you see it typically is when people try and get clever with, with using the least amount of code to yield the most results. So you're yep. saying so more code is the answer. Sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I came up with a little contrived example here where I literally tried to do something that happened in two to the end operations. So I came up with a little function where you pass like an exponent and it will give you a, a buffer, a, a binary buffer back with, um, two to the exponent number of zeros. So if you give me uh, a five to my function, I'll give you a binary array of zeros with of size 32. And so it's really contrived, but it was just kind of funny that I would print it out in like Chrome. I just did in JavaScript in the console. And it's just funny to kind of put like put a hundred in there and see it like start spinning for days. <laughs> awesome. 
All right. So I think we said this, but just to be clear, <laughs> right? This is in the yellow. This is this is in the <laughs> this is in the bright red. Yes. This is this is very red on a big O cheat sheet. So if you find yourself maybe the maybe here's the here's the tip then. If you find yourself doing recursion, number one, you you already that should already be a red flag in terms of space, right? Of stack space. You need to be aware of what size inputs you're working in. But if you are doing anything with recursion where you're just iteratively going back over the same collection, maybe that's the sign that you should you you might be in this territory. Yeah. Maybe. I yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know that I've ever really seen one of these guys out in the wild. Like I think you'd have to try to mess this up so hard. Or if you sat there at your computer getting old while this thing was still trying to run, that might yep. be the other one. <laughs> I mean, we yep. did say 300 Google years. So, you know, if after Google years, you're still sitting there <laughs> waiting on it, you've probably done something wrong. And you still got Amazon yep. years and Apple years. So you right. you got time. Yes, you got time. Well, um, there is one worse thing that we t- typically talk about. Uh, and uh, the, this is the worst one that we typically talk about, which is the n factorial. And, and unlike the uh, the exponent, uh, this one is actually something that does come up pretty often. Um, in fact, every time you try to get permutations of an array, so you know our our um, five array example there, it means we want to see one, two, three, four, one, three, two, four, one, five, two. You know, every combination um, that's possible with that inputs, that's an n factorial operation. And so this is the one where um, I, I figured this out for our um, size of 1,000, where one took one second, 1,000 takes, I'm not even going to try, uh, I didn't even write down the first number because it, it matters so little, it's over 2,500 digits, 2,500 digits of seconds. That's a lot. Yeah, I took it into uh, Visual Studio Code just to kind of so I could even count like the number of zeros, I had to do a little funky math to even figure it out. And uh, it was like crashing code on me even to like get all that stuff on one line so I could get the, the length of it. So I want you to picture in your head, like when we go back to the big O cheat sheet for this one, this one is so bright red, it's on fire. Okay. <laughs> and when we talk about a hockey stick, what I want you to imagine is you, you draw your, your normal XY graph, right? Picture that in your head. Now go from zero and and maybe think about drawing a curve, but then instead change your mind, just go straight line up, yeah. right? That's pretty much in factor, O of in factorial, what this does. Yeah, there's no good at all. Yeah, I, mean, I actually, have, have you guys ever been in a situation where you've had O of in factorial problems? I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, I've done a little bit of stuff like toy problems and like something like Code Wars or whatever with factorials or... No, I mean like where you've been real world given. Oh, no. No. See, this is where, you remember how um, Rob Connery, the author of the Imposter's Handbook, right? He he told he told this story about like how he didn't recognize, he actually lost a job one time because he didn't recognize the, you know, the problem and, and couldn't, yeah, had, because he couldn't reckon, because he didn't recognize it, know how to say it to someone else, then it ended up later costing him a job, right? And, you know, I might have mentioned this before in a past episode, but it, it definitely like while you guys were talking made me think about this where I was like, I actually had this come up one time where it was what, what the customer was asking for me 
uh, or asking of me was an O of infactorial problem. But at the time, I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to communicate that to them. But all I could say is like, look, what you're asking for is not possible in my lifetime. <laughs> and, and the best I could do would be like, look, I'm going to go ahead and write some code to do it. And then we'll take some time samples and I'll show you how this is never going to finish in a reasonable amount of time, you know, and, and that was as, that was as good as I could do. And so that's why it's important to try to learn these things and understand these things. Cause you know, when we talk about these, like you were mentioning the, the, the 2,500 plus digits, right? If we take, uh, Jeff Atwood's example here, where each unit of time was one millisecond of time, right? For n factorial, where n is 16, it's 663 years. Using milliseconds. <laughs> using milliseconds. Mm-hmm. It would take 663 years. So that's the that's the trouble that like, you know, young me, I want to go back and kick, you know, young me in the butt because it's like, I didn't have the, I didn't know of a good way to communicate that to the customer. Like, Hey, this is not possible, right? This isn't going to finish. This this can't be done in my lifetime. So, you know, I don't, you know, and of course someone else is like, no, I can absolutely, I can do that. Uh, Of course, somebody, not a developer never, ever tried to step on somebody else and say, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, to your point, not to pick, but it was a project manager that was like, no, that can absolutely be done. I'm positive that can be done. So here's the thing, right? If you start going around talking like, well, that's O of N, then you're probably going to get looked at with stinky looks all over the place, right? Like, and Rob even says in his book that, the problem is it makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. If you don't have that computer science background and you haven't gone through all this kind of stuff, a lot of times it does make you uncomfortable because you'll, you'll want to step out of it. Like I, I didn't actually go to school for CS specifically. I went for CIS because I'd already been programming for a long time. And I was like, well, I want to get the business side of things. And so like Diffie Q and that kind of stuff that, that Joe probably struggled through. And I think you probably did too. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of miss some of these. And so if you don't have that heavy background, it's, it's can be intimidating, right? But hopefully listening to what we're talking about here is we're trying to put it in plain language, right? Like ON is something you can look at and see, right? ON squared is you think of just the loop constructs and all that stuff. You should be able to kind of look at it and say, Hey, I think that this is probably ON or this is ON squared or whatever. Like it should be a language that you'll be able to communicate. So like that, that situation you're talking about, you could have looked at the guy and been like, that's ON factorial. Right. Can't do it. I mean, even, even I look at now that the way we are armed with information, right? Yeah. The, the big O cheat sheet is an invaluable resource, right? Because you can just visually show somebody like, Hey, here it is. This, this article from Jeff Atwood, right? Where he has the, the table invaluable because you can immediately just put it in front of somebody's face and be like, look, this is why what you're asking can't be done. Right. I'm not speculating. I'm right. giving you evidence. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think we ever actually said what a factorial is, do we? I, I don't think we did, but isn't that oh, the thing the- that everybody remembers from great from primary school? <laughs> <laughs> no, I always get it mixed up with summation, uh, but it's the, um, 
it's the product of the integer and all the integers below it. So if our example input of five, it's five times four times three times two times one, which, you know, you can obviously is going to be much bigger than just five times five, which is n squared. Yeah, it gets huge fast. <laughs> so yep. this is this is the way I want my pay scale to work. <laughs> yeah. what do i gotta do to make that happen i would oh, like I'd... a six factorial raise please yes <laughs> that's you know, amazing I, I, um i found a calculator online that will list permutations i was like is it really that many it doesn't seem like that many and so um you know it kind of like you tell it how many you want and it'll generate all the outputs for you so the first one i did was like one or no not one uh like five i think i was like okay here's a ton I'm like scrolling scrolling i'm like all right well i don't trust this it can't be that bad let me try 10 the website's just like, no, that's too big. <laughs> yeah, like, what I do you can't mean? do that. It's like, Wait. I can't permute 10 items in an array. That's going to be over 3 million. Like, it's going to crash your browser, bro. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So, it, that yes, as you said, that one's very red. That's on fire red, yes, low torch type of red. Yeah, your, your, your computer just melted and you're out of a job. Very nice. Yeah, you're not going to make it to Patch Tuesday before that thing quits. Patch Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, Windows Server 2 billion. You're right. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So we, we will have a lot of resource a lot of uh, links in the resources we like section for this episode. So if you're listening along, uh, you can use your, your podcast player can usually uh, list out the show notes pretty well. Yeah, most of them do. Well. The Google the Google podcast player doesn't I mean it's very small minimal. Maybe it's a different feed that it's coming from, but we need to we need to take a look at that. But for most of them, you'll be able to click on the links and go go look at these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, we've been slacking on the videos, by the way. We've gotten a lot of feedback about it, and those are coming back. I've just been slacking. If you see this video right now, you can see that my office is a mess. I just moved and I'm still picking up the pieces of my shattered life. Yeah, I need I need to get the other one back up, but yeah, we're we're getting them back up. We got. He sounds so sad picking up the pieces of his shattered life. Come on, Joe. That's a song, isn't it? Come on, it's not that. <laughs> that's, that's a song. Cut my life into pieces. This, this is, is my last resort. I'm so sick of moving. <laughs> uh, awesome. Just one more time back to Atlanta, and then you're done. Hey, and, right. and by the way, we keep forgetting we also have a codingblocks.net slash resources page to where if you go up there and check it out, we have like our very, our favorite of our favorite resources up there. So every show notes page will have the resources we talked about on that page, but like our very favorites, the best of the best, whatever, are on that resources page. And including as- a referral link to Portal Site, which has amazing videos on uh, algorithmics. Uh, that's <laughs> That's what they call it. You know what else? Hey, by the way, here lately, I've been watching a lot of LinkedIn learning stuff, which used to be lynda.com, right? They bought it. Man, they've got some good stuff up there, too. So uh, I highly recommend that. I probably should get a link up there, too, because there's some really good courses up there. Yeah, so as one famous Cutting Blocks host would say, check it out. Check it out. Check it out. (laughs) All right. I think that's going to become the catchphrase for a while now. (laughs) Check it out. It reminds me of chicka chicka. All right. So let's get into... Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the dip of the week. Yeah, baby. All right. So, uh, this is, this was, uh, emailed to us by Joe Reedley. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. We've, if not, we've said it wrong so many times. <laughs> oh, have we mentioned him before? 
<laughs> Are you kidding me? Joe Rickers and Joe? Joe Rickers and Joe. That's, oh, I didn't recognize that. We can we can usually say that properly. Ah, oh, I didn't recognize that that was him when I saw it. Dang. Yeah. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't put two and two together. Math is hard. <laughs> so, so, so he, uh, he sent us, cause you know, I've had like this affair with Python going on for a while now. So you have a full Python IDE for iOS with an app called Pythonista. So I, I have links to it. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. It's like high on my list, though. I, I want to try it out. It looks so cool. But I think part of what I'm struggling with, though, too, is that, like, what's my use case for writing code on my phone or on my iPad <laughs> other than, like, I'm on a train and, you know, I'm bored, right? Right, yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Code Wars on the go. But then I was like, well, I guess I could just go to CodeWars.com then. Yeah, but typing on a phone just stinks. Well, oh. it's got type ahead, though. Hey, it, how many times that bit you? Never? <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm not speaking from experience, so I can't I can't say. But, like, looking at the pictures that they show you where, you know, it's pretty smart about what it's uh, – I'm trying to, like, type this while I talk, and that's hard. <laughs> so so you're you're messing with it right now? So, no, I like I said, I haven't. It's a that's the one thing. The app is ten dollars, and that's another part of the reason why I was like, man, I'm too cheap because I won't spend ten dollars on this app unless I, until I can think of like a good good use for it. And I'm like, oh, I just got to go ahead and get it. So I'm gonna go ahead and get it. Yeah. But yeah, you should buy it. That's the thing, man. It really, iOS yeah, here's needs a, a code try. Completion. A try Let's until see. you buy. Can you see that? Yeah, sort of ish. How about can I get it closer? It's kind of fuzzy. No, no, no. Not that great. None of that worked? No. Nope. Dang, I failed. All right. So coding on iOS, his tip. Mine, I got lazy this time. I, you know, I, I guess I got lazy or I just want to give some people some credit in the Slack group. So super good Dave. He's been on several of our community talks. He, he actually came back with, I don't remember what episode it was. We were talking about the faking framework that was created to where people, it, it created like people. Oh, wasn't that last episode? Was it last? Yep. I can't remember, man. My brain's going. Um, <laughs> so he he mentioned that there's tons of other ones out there already as well. So there's uh, Ruby Gems. There's a Faker that's called that that can go create a ton of stuff. There's another one that's also a Ruby one called Factory Girl, and it will make a bunch of fake data. Uh, there's another one that allows you to specify the data you want to download as a CSV or JSON or whatever, and that's called Makaroo.com. And then there is a faker in JS that Vlad.OS gave us, which is, it's on NPM and it's called Faker. And it will also generate fake data. So there's stuff on all kinds of platforms, JavaScript, Ruby, uh, et cetera, uh, an API one. So go check those out. Links will be in the show notes. And thank you for the tip, Dave. Yeah, some people ha- are so creative with the names. VladOS, <laughs> Joe Recursion Joe. Like VladOS. Vlados. You guys play uh, Portal 2 or Portal 1? Uh, probably own oh, it's it. It's been a while. Probably don't play it. <laughs> uh, I've awesome. played it, well, but it's been Vlados, a long time. God of War, man. Yeah. God of War on the PS4. <laughs> that's what you got to play. That was the voice, well, though, in the Portal games, right? Uh, the computer. Oh, you yeah. guys are embarrassing me. You, you need to go play Portal 1 and 2 right now. They oh. hold up very well. Oh, come on, man. There's your tip. I got a whole well, closet full of games I don't play. <laughs> Portal is oh. fun. But I don't. Something about the motion eventually gets to me. Really? Yeah. Emotion or motion? 
motion. Okay. <laughs> like some of the, some of those maps just get, will get me like sick after a while. Right. You just got to fortify and push through. Apparently. All right. Drink uh, more. I'll play. I'll play, I guess. One day. All right. Well, hey, you don't have of, your tips in here. We're skipping Joe. No, nah, I just, <laughs> I just came up with it now. I haven't touched it. In. He's <laughs> being secretive. That's right. Uh, so, uh, I don't think that I've mentioned, uh, or I don't think that I've suggested that you check out dev.to. It's recently went open source. It's, um, kind of like, um, a blog aggregation tool, except the content is actually there. It's not like a, a Reddit or a Hacker News where you actually like kind of cliff off, click off and go, but it's got a really nice, community which i think is really important it's really active and the site's um open source now is really cool and you can see what's coming they've got a great roadmap they're doing a lot of work um that super good dave you just mentioned has actually been blogging there uh writing a lot about view recently and doing kind of like a javascript type 30 thing um dance to die got man like a lot of the people that we talk about and um really like to uh to follow are all there and so um if you hit me up on dev2 or anywhere um i can give you a list of uh, really awesome people to to check out there and if you're a blogger or you're thinking about blogging, one thing that's really important to note is that you can blog on your own blog, say like joezack.com. I can blog there and then um, sync the content to dev.to. And when I do that, in order to not lose my Google juice, you can set the canonical reference. In fact, it's already kind of preset if you do the sync back to your original blog. So long tail, five years from now when people search the thing you wrote about, they're still linking to your blog, but short term, you're finding tons of readers that you would never have found otherwise who are just browsing and hanging out on dev.to because it's an awesome site. Man, look at you throwing out marketing terms on our coding podcast, long tail. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> People are like, what? what? I've been doing some reading. What is he talking about? So, <laughs> so you got to check out the site. It's dev.to, dev.to. And uh, actually, you should follow them on Twitter and follow uh, everything they're doing. Just because they're doing really cool stuff in the programming community and making life better for um, developers and content producers, which is fantastic. And it's really nice and uh, positive. Um, not to compare it to other communities that aren't so much, uh, those things sometimes, but, um, it's really great. You should check it out. Dev.to. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> uh, All right. So, uh, with that, we ask if, uh, if, you, if you're listening to this, maybe a friend has shown you, uh, shown you the way and now you're hooked. So go on to iTunes, Stitcher or more using favorite podcast app and subscribe. Uh, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We, it, we, I can't, I'm not lying when I say it puts a smile on our face. So you can find some helpful links by heading to www.codingblocks.net slash review. And while you're up there, you can check out all the show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And set your feedback, questions, and rants to the Slack channel, codingbox.slack.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBox and head over to CodingBox.net. You can find all our social links at the top of the page. Also, I just want to stick this in there at the end. For the Horde. Uh, I feel really awkward. I don't... Take that, tell your soul. I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, Mission accomplished. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Joe in his secret language. Uh.